0: Well, good morning. morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, Thank you to the families for dedicating your children, for, for allowing us to be a part of that. Um, it's one of these things where it, it might even be harder and harder to do that in a world that is continually trying to get us to reject all of it. And so it does take commitment, as you well know, uh, not just not just to say it, but to live it out. And for us to be able to do that together with you uh, is a true blessing for us. So, so thank you for taking the time. Thank you for being here. And we look forward uh, to walking these next step, these next steps along with you on not just your kid's journey, but your journey as well. Thanks for being a part of this community. Okay, so for the last three weeks, either directly or indirectly, we have been talking about chapter nine of the Gospel of John. Pastor Steve, I guess it has been two weeks ago, uh, did the entire chapter in, uh, in one sermon, which was amazing. But part of that was that this man who was born blind was miraculously given his sight by Jesus. Okay, And so this pattern of Jesus doing something amazing, doing a miracle or John calls them signs, he he does something, but then it always is followed by an explanation or an interpretation of what it actually means. And so it's important for us to, the reason I'm bringing all this up is because I I fully, I see the look of panic on some of your faces saying, I thought we were in John 10. We are, but... There were no chapter and verses and all these kinds of numbers and all of this organization uh, originally. These things were just written. And so this, this story that occurred in chapter nine continues into the first part of chapter 10. Last week, we talked about the first 10 verses, and this week, we're gonna carry that on then, verses 11 to 21. But I wanna make sure that we do that in light of recognizing that this is the response to the miracle that Jesus did in giving this man born blind his sight, okay? We all on the same page? So we're in John chapter 10, and actually somebody asked me last week, well, how do you know this is all connected? Uh, Fair question. Uh, Look at the end, verse 21, the second half of verse 21. It it basically tells us, gives us this big clue here. Uh, Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Okay, so we know that this is in response to seeing this miracle that Jesus had done. The man had been given his sight after being born blind. And instead of celebrating, instead of, uh, you know, really lifting up this whole situation and recognizing Jesus for this, this miracle, well, they not only were dissatisfied with Jesus. I'm talking about the religious leaders here. Uh, they were not only dissatisfied with Jesus, they were actually dissatisfied with the guy himself. All he did was receive the healing and he's in trouble for that too. So think about that for a minute. Uh, good news was not being celebrated at this p- particular point. Instead, it was actually being used as a means to further justify their persecution of Jesus. This guy's got to go. He's unpredictable. He's out there doing, uh, maybe he's crazy. Maybe he's demon possessed. And then the question is asked, well, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so the religious leaders are united in their persecution of Jesus. They're, They're convinced this guy's got to go. But the crowd is not so sure. They're divided. They, some of them are saying, wait a minute, this guy is the Messiah. This is the promised one. Uh, and, and other people are saying, no, he's, he's insane. He's a lunatic. Or maybe even he's demon possessed. And so there's all those dynamics that are going on. But the point I want us to really focus in on is how Jesus is contrasted with The religious leaders. That's the comparison that Jesus is making here as he interprets and teaches us about the deeper level of what he's just done. Because that is this pattern where. He does a sign or a miracle, and then he explains uh, the deeper meaning behind that, which is very, very powerful. And so as we continue in John chapter 10, be thinking about how this is a continuation of that entire sequence of events. But before we jump in and get into the details, uh, let's just take a moment here and, and ask God to come and be part of what is going on right here, right now, in a mighty way that doesn't just give us information, but actually transforms our hearts, our minds, and our lives. So pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the gift of life, for the gift of, of children, for the blessing of what it is even in the midst of chaos, Lord. We saw as the families were standing on this stage that it's a busy job just to try to even keep people standing still for just a moment. And so, Lord, we know that you as our good shepherd extend that shepherding responsibility to us and ask us to do that in our lives. And Lord, we can't do that alone. We can't do that without you. And so right now we tune our ears to the word that you have for us. And we ask that it be your word that we hear, not my words, but your word, because your word has the power to change everything, to transform us, to raise us from the dead. And so, Lord, as we, each of us, come to this gathering today, bringing whatever burdens are weighing us down, would you take them from us as you've promised to do? We give them to you now, and Lord, we, we turn over our hearts, our minds, and our very lives to you, our great shepherd. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Okay. So one of the things we talked about last week was this contrast between Jesus as last week, he he referred to himself as the door or the gate of the sheep, but this week it's even more recognizable. We talked about this as spoiler alert. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. Okay. Well, I think it's pretty good. So He's the good shepherd, and we're going to talk all about what does that actually mean in light of what he's done with this blind man. Uh, and, and so, if you recall, last week we talked about uh, chapter 9, verse 34, the, the, the conclusion to all this, after this man has been given his sight, instead of celebrating, the religious leaders, in this case the Pharisees, were saying, uh, this is no good, we got to put a stop to this, we got to put a lid on this, this Jesus guy's got to go. But then, they interrogated the guy, and then they interrogated his family, and then they discussed amongst themselves and they decided, well, the best option here is throw this guy out of the community. How dare he be healed? So they threw him out. They put him out of the synagogue. They cut him off from his community. I want you to keep that in mind because Jesus is going to give us the contrast to that in terms of how he shepherds the the very same man and us as well. And and part of the way we understood some of this shepherding and this special relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is to recognize that all throughout scripture, we see this kind of word picture or this kind of illustration where sometimes God refers to himself as the shepherd and his people as the sheep. Sometimes uh, it's Israel sometimes it's you know this particular person or that particular person and so there's this this special relationship between shepherd and sheep that is a, a consistent theme throughout scripture now we might not have a, a immediate accessibility to that because I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not a shepherd. Uh, and I certainly am not a shepherd in the Middle East. And so a lot of this stuff is, is a little bit harder for me to understand at first, but I think if we take our time and go through this, then we start to see some of the power and the authority and the presence of who Jesus truly is really shine through in, in all that we're going to talk about today. Uh, and so Ezekiel 34 is one of those places where, uh, God himself is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel and he is just berating the shepherds of Israel as they're commonly referred to, the shepherds of Israel. And what that little phrase means is they're the religious leaders. Now in, in Jesus' time, the religious leaders he was dealing directly with were the Pharisees. There were other groups of religious leaders as well, but he's always seems to be tangling with the Pharisees. But this, this problem of bad shepherding has been going on for a long time. Now there have been moments throughout Israel's history where things were going really well and and shepherding was, was something that was occurring in a way that was helping people and caring for people and protecting people. But then there were times over and over again where the shepherds of Israel or the religious leaders continued to turn inward and focus on themselves and what benefits they could kind of fleece from the sheep of God's flock rather than working to benefit the sheep. And so I want to go back. We, we, last week we talked about, uh, or I read to you part of Ezekiel 34, where, where the Lord has been very upset with the shepherds of Israel. But now this week I want to read just a few more verses in Ezekiel 34, because God also offered a permanent solution to the problem. He said, hey... This is going to happen. This problem will be fixed in this way. And so if you, you can read this later, just, it's not on the screen now, but I, w- I just want you to, uh, to listen to this starting in verse 11 of Ezekiel chapter 34. This is God speaking. I myself will search for my sheep and look at, look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with him. So will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them up from all the different countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and the settlements in the land. I will tend to them in a good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel, there will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, whether or not we realize it or not, we have seen Jesus start to already fulfill These promises, these details, these things that we just heard in Ezekiel 34, we've seen Jesus doing these things. You might not have realized it at the time, but in chapter six, when we had this amazing, miraculous feeding of the multitudes, sometimes we call it the feeding of the 5,000. We know there were more than 5,000 people there. But here's the interesting detail about that. The people that were there were from all over the place. They had been scattered into different areas, and suddenly, because of Jesus, they were gathered around Jesus. Does anybody remember where they were gathered around Jesus? On the hillside, or the mountainside of Israel, in a lush pasture, where Jesus gathered up all the people, scattered from all over the place, had them all together, told the disciples, have them sit down in this lush green pasture, which there aren't very many of those opportunities in Israel. And so for the sheep then of God's flock to be seated, to lie down, to take rest after being gathered together around Jesus, then Jesus has compassion on them. He teaches them and he feeds them, right? He miraculously feeds his sheep. He cares for his sheep. That that should have given us a clue right then and there that, okay, this Jesus does things differently. This Jesus cares about things that other people don't seem to be caring about. But even more than that, he seems to be doing things that other people are unwilling to do. And then we saw even further back in chapter four where Jesus went through Samaria which was already a cultural no-no for him as a, as a Jewish person, he was not supposed to set foot in Samaria because they didn't get along with the Samarians. They, they considered them to be some sort of half-breed, you know, not purely Jewish. But that didn't stop Jesus from going there. He met a woman at this well in Samaria. We remember this story. And what, what did he offer? Well, to care for her. How? By giving her living Water, living water. And he, he told her, if you drink this water that I only I can give you, you will never thirst again. And so we see this repeated pattern of Jesus shepherding and caring for people in ways that the world and all of its systems and all of its attempted understandings continues to ignore. And so, so keep that in mind as we continue to go through this. But then when we got to chapter nine, we see Jesus healing this blind man, giving this blind man sight. And then we just talked about the reaction that people had. Well, the blind man who can suddenly see, obviously he's real happy about it, but the other people are saying, well, wait a minute, this is no good. So they, they throw him out. They throw him out, but that's not where the story ends. I don't know if you remember this, but we're going to go back and read a couple verses in chapter nine. So we, so we see this, uh, look at chapter nine, verses 35 to 38. This is after they put the guy out, cut him off from his community. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he? Sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So that phrase I want you to really pay attention to is Jesus went out and found the very same man that had been rejected. The very same man that the the religious leaders had said, you know what? You're out. They insulted him. They called him a sinner. They said, how dare you lecture us? And they put him out. And that's when Jesus comes and finds him and welcomes him into his flock. Now, I don't know if I can adequately state how good of news that actually is. Not just for this blind man, but for you and for me. Because it means that, no matter what our background is, no matter how we have felt rejected or been rejected, no matter how many times the world has said, You're not good enough, you're not smart enough, and doggone it, people don't like you. Somebody got it. No matter how many different ways the world continues to try to tell you that you'll never measure up, that you are never going to be good enough, that you are never going to be welcomed and valued and part of the community. Jesus goes not just to this blind man, but to you right here. I don't know what your church experience has been, but I talk to a lot of people who have been even rejected from their church. Everything was fine, then this happened, then they told me I was no longer welcome there. And so, what is it like for Jesus to contrast himself with this type of behavior? because that is eerily similar to what we find here with these shepherds of Israel. They're called to care for God's flock, and what are they doing? Well, they're caring about themselves. They're trying to protect their own image. They're trying to protect their own system of understanding, and they're doing it at the expense of this man who has been healed, and Jesus goes and finds that man and welcomes him in and brings him in just like he welcomes us in to his flock as well. And it's not just a a surface-level thing. Look at verse 11. Jesus just says it directly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now this relationship, this special, this personal and intimate relationship between a shepherd and sheep helps us understand more about this word picture or this illustration that Jesus is using to explain what he has just done with this blind man, not only by healing him, but then also by welcoming him into the flock of God. He's not passively just sort of standing by and being an observer nor is he doing that in our lives either. He is actively engaged and involved in what it means to shepherd us. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you trust him and you have turned over your life to him and recognize him and have received him as your shepherd, then he is the one that knows what is best for you. He is the one that is leading you. He is the one that is guiding you, but he's not doing it in a passive way like, well, I hope you figure it out. No, he goes before us, He cares about us and he's actively involved, not just from a spiritual perspective, but from a mental, emotional and even physical perspective. God is protecting and caring and showing compassion to his sheep because that is who he is. He continues to call out to us. Will we recognize his voice? And when we hear his voice, will we turn to him? Or will we instead turn inward to ourselves and say, well, I would really rather be a shepherd than to have a shepherd. I don't like anybody making any claims about me. I wanna make my own claims about myself. And that honestly is the world that we live in right now because it gets right to the core of our identity right? And we know that this identity piece is something that is important. And so we're desperately trying to find ways to claim our identity using whatever means necessary, all the while, most of the time, if not all the time, rejecting the identity of what it means to be a sheep in the flock of God. It's hard to keep up with how many different kinds of ways we attempt to identify ourselves, what kinds of claims that we want to make about ourselves and that we want the world to accept about us. But here's the truth, as uncomfortable as it is, true identity comes from the claims Jesus makes about us, not from the claims that we make about ourselves. I'll let that sink in for just a moment because that's offensive. True identity comes from the claims Jesus makes about us, not from the claims that we make about ourselves. And we get this twisted up, upside down, all the time, especially because we desire to be our own shepherd, to be whatever we think that means, rather than submit to the good shepherd who truly cares for the sheep. And Jesus could not be any more different than these, not only these bad shepherds of Israel, but bad shepherds everywhere. You and I deal with bad shepherds all the time in one way, shape or form. And a lot of times we end up falling for it. We end up following the wrong thing or the wrong person or putting our hope and our trust in something that is destined to fail, certain to fail. And even after one disappointment after another, Jesus still calls us, still welcomes us into his flock because as the world will continue to try to tell you that you're completely worthless and unvalued, Jesus tells you he values enough that he gave his life for you. I don't know how much more he can commit to you to show you that you are valuable and that you are important. The the reason you exist in the first place is because he created you. And because of his love for you, he gave his life for you to save you, to bring you into this flock, not just on a temporary basis, but on an eternal basis. He welcomes you into his flock. Right in the face of a world that's trying to tell you things like, well, you're never gonna be enough. Jesus tells you the good news is, I'm already more than enough. And I give it to you. And we know at some level, well, we don't deserve that kind of grace. We don't deserve that kind of mercy. We don't deserve Jesus laying down his life. Why would he do that for me? And yet he does it because that's how much he cares for us. That's how much he loves us. That's how badly he wants us a relationship with us. And a lot of times when we talk about relationship, well we just kind of get all twisted up and we think, well that that all sounds nice and uh but it's too ambiguous. I can't really grab hold of that. I don't really know what that means. Well, take a look at verse 14 and 15. It helps us understand what kind of relationship Jesus actually wants with us. He says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep And my sheep know me. Now here it is. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So what we are to understand about our relationship with Jesus is that it's much like the relationship that Jesus has with his father. That kind of intimacy. it's, It's active. It's not some sort of passive thing. It's not sort of impersonal, ambiguous thing. Jesus, by saying that he knows us, it means he knows not only about us, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he calls us by our name. The creator of the universe and all that exists knows your name and calls to you and invites you into his sheep pen to be part of his flock. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's the first time that you've ever even considered such a thing today. Or maybe it's the first time that you've heard this message and you've been one who's wandered off. And you think, well, I've wandered off too far now. I'm, I'm out of the reach of the good shepherd. No, Jesus is telling you that even when you don't have the strength to cling to him, he is the one who is clinging to you. You are never outside of his reach come back to his flock. So this idea of of relationship with Jesus, sometimes I think we reduce this to to thinking that it's some sort of just mental exercise, like, oh yeah, (laughs) me and Jesus, we're tight. Meanwhile, when you dig a little bit deeper and find out really what that means, you realize that we're not spending any time praying not spending any time studying and meditating on god's word we're not meeting with one another and and talking about those important things we're instead binge watching one netflix show after another and occupying our brain and our time and our lives with stuff that has nothing to do with what this good shepherd is actually asking and leading and guiding us to do and to to be I'm not just pointing my finger at you and saying, do better, I'm definitely pointing at myself just right alongside with you. This, this is a lot easier talked about than it is done, living this life that, that Jesus has for us, that is to the full. We don't have the choice of whether or not he's laid claim to us. He's already done that, but we do have a choice whether or not we will follow him. So will you follow him today? Maybe in in a deeper way than you ever have before. Now, this whole idea of calling out to you, as he continues to call out through his word, the Holy Spirit then reveals that truth in, in your heart and stirs you up and you recognize like, oh, All these places I've tried to to get my identity are are worthless in comparison to who Jesus says I am. If that's that's you today and the Holy Spirit is opening your ears and, and the word is being planted in your heart and it's springing forth into knowing and believing and trusting him for the first time, that is awesome. But it doesn't just stop here. It didn't just stop with Israel. It didn't just stop with the people that Jesus was addressing. Matter of fact, Jesus coming on the scene was all the fulfillment of what had been promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. God made a promise to Abraham. There's a lot of different pieces of it, but the very last piece of it is that you will be a blessing. Matter of fact, he says it even more specifically. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So this was not supposed to be something that was contained in one particular people group at one particular time in one particular place. The mission of God, the desire of God, the character of God, the love of God, the compassion of God spreads way beyond that and goes out and grabs you and I and invites us into the flock as well. And this is what Jesus is saying in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And here it is, there shall be one flock and one shepherd. When we recognize that, when we realize that Jesus is out collecting more and more sheep and bringing them into his fold, into his flock, then we become a lot less paranoid about trying to focus on the wrong things. Because when we are united in Christ and we recognize him, as our good shepherd, then all of our differences in whatever that may be, how we look, where we live, whatever our economic status is, all that stuff then becomes secondary. All of that stuff becomes secondary to the identity and the home that we find in knowing that Jesus is savior and Lord. He is our good shepherd, but he's out there not just calling the world to himself, but he's asking us to be part of it. He's he's asking you and I to be part of that mission. Remember, this call is not just one little particular group. It's for the whole, well, I won't say it. Let's just read it. John chapter three, verse 16. Everybody remember that? For God so loved the what? The world that he gave his one and only son. He loves the world and he's asking us to be part of going and inviting sheep into his flock. Each of us is called to welcome other lost sheep into God's flock. Each of us is called to welcome other lost sheep into God's flock. And because we are not all the same, because we come with wildly different backgrounds and and everything about us might be different. The amazing part is that we see this fuller dimension or fuller expression of the character of God in the differences we have amongst one another. And we can celebrate those differences once we recognize that our home is with Jesus in his flock. That is not the way the world wants you to believe it is. The world wants you to be divided. The world wants you to destroy one another. And we just last week heard what happens when false shepherds come. They seek to kill and destroy What does Jesus say? I have come that you will have life to the full. This abundance of his grace and mercy comes to us to rescue us. Not so that we all become the same, but so that we recognize our identity comes from who he says we are. His sheep, his children, part of his flock. But in order for that to really happen, In order for us to really take that seriously, guess what? It requires action. In this particular world we're living in right now, there's an awful lot of this, right? An awful lot of this, not so much action. I think there's, what's that song? A little less talk and a lot more action? That's not an appropriate reference, but uh, (laughs) it still works. Uh, The reality is that we like to talk not so much into the action piece of this. And yet, when we understand God's mission, we should not be looking to benefit from other people. We should be constantly on the lookout, figuring out how we are being asked to benefit someone else. How much of our time do we spend living exactly the opposite of that? But I'll say it another way, maybe less offensively. I've said this to you before. Get ready for it in the immortal probably not immortal. In the famous words of Dr. Phil, it ain't about you. Right? Well, we've got, we got somebody here who thinks he's pretty big stuff, but guess what, buddy? It ain't about you. This is true for you and me as well. We focus so much of our time, effort, and energy on ourselves and what we could, how we could benefit from circumstances that we're very less, very much less motivated to actually live out our faith. But participation is a requirement. It's a requirement. If you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be one who is in God's flock, this is not a uh, suggestion from Jesus. This is, this is not a, a, a tip. This is a command for us to go out. And, and probably the best example of that, now we just got done looking at John uh, 3.16. But did you know that there is also another John 3:16? Right? I was really excited about this. I was really convicted about this. I can tell you're not as excited about it. That's okay. We're going to read it and then you'll be more excited. Because this, this apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote some letters. First John, okay? There's another John 3.16. So if we go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 we start to see our part in this call that God has for us. You ready for this? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now, here here we go, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Isn't it amazing how those two things are connected? And it's connected right through John chapter 10. We've got chapter three, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, we have the, the, the gave part there. God's great generosity and abundance. He gives freely to us for our benefit, not his. Then we have in in John chapter 10, he's talking about the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's you and me. That's the world that he loves so much. He lays down his life so that we can be forgiven and set free from our sin. He does that protecting at the cost of his own very life. But then he wasn't very good at dead. He didn't last very long, only made it three days. He wasn't dead anymore. He was raised again to new life. And that new life is what he invites you and I to participate in that we just heard in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Let's not just be about, let's be about love in action, faith in action, living it out. The question I guess I would have is, are are we being conformed to his image, to the image of Jesus? Or are we too busy trying to conform Jesus to our image? That is a real challenge that we should take very, very seriously. Are we trying to shepherd Jesus (laughs) or are we allowing him to shepherd us? Now, how does this, this, not everybody is called to go and physically sacrifice their lives for somebody else. Although that does happen. Of course it happens. But there are all different kinds of ways that you and I might be called to live out our faith by putting somebody else's needs ahead of our own, by benefiting others because they need something rather than us just trying to get what we need from them. And so even though our context might be different, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you have a job, maybe you don't have a job. Uh, m- maybe you uh, have family, friends, maybe you're retired. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. All of us are given a platform. All of us are given a sphere of influence. All of us are given sheep that God is trying to reach. And he is asking us to love those sheep in a way that brings them in to his flock. And and so I'm just going to tell you this story as we close, because now this is not my story. A pastor friend of mine told me this story. Uh, I'm not even exactly sure what church it was, but I do know that it was in New York City. Uh, And so in New York City, at this particular time where this occurred, there was this real drive, this culture. I'm sure it still exists today. It exists everywhere. But it was especially evident at this particular time in New York City where it was dog-eat-dog, dog. people climbing and clawing their way to the top of whatever it was, especially in the financial services industry. It, it was brutal, and it was noticeable, and, and there was not a lot of love that uh, that people were experiencing in that regard. And so this, this woman was an analyst. She was a financial analyst, and, and she was preparing a report, and, and she made a mistake. She made a mistake, and she realized that she made the mistake, but not before she had sent out the report, And apparently this error was like a big, big deal. Okay. And so she, she went after she realized the error, she went to her boss and she said, look, I've made a huge mistake. Uh, this is going to be a really big problem. I should resign my position because this guy, her boss was up for this big promotion. He was he was right in line to get this big promotion. And he said, all right, listen, you're, you're a fantastic analyst. I realize you've made this mistake. Don't make any moves. I'm not going to, don't, don't resign. Uh, let, let me just think about this for a little bit and, uh, and I'll get back to you. Well, what he did was he took the fall for it. He took the fall for the error because he knew this woman's work. He knew how hard she had worked to get there and he took responsibility for it. Now, he didn't get fired, but he also didn't get the promotion that he was up for. That got canceled immediately. And he never really even said anything about it. So the woman just kept coming to work. And sooner or later, she asked around, found out what had happened. Boom, she shows up in his office and says, I don't understand what, what has happened. What, why, would you, why would you do this for me? Why would you do this? It doesn't make any sense at all. And he said, well, it might not mean anything to you, but I'm a Christian, and part of, of what I believe is that sometimes we're called to, to sacrifice something for the benefit of, of somebody else. And so uh, I'm not doing anything other than, than living that out, living out what I believe. And she was just absolutely dumbfounded. And so she, she kind of left in a, in a huff, like, I don't, I don't even know if I can accept this. But you know what she did do is she showed up at a church the next Sunday. And of course, she got there late, left early, didn't want to talk to anybody, sat in the back by herself, hoping that nobody would notice her. Nobody really paid any attention to her. She left. Then she went back the next week. This time... She wasn't able to evade. So some host in a red shirt was probably. They found her and, and struck up a conversation, talked to her and, and she broke down and she, she told this whole story. And, and, and the person listened and, and she said, I just, I don't, I don't understand. So I needed to come to a place where they teach people how to live like this because it doesn't make any sense to me. So I just had to see it for myself. I had to see this place. And the person said, oh ma'am, it's not the place, it's the person. It's the person of Jesus who has done this for you, who has laid down his life, not for his benefit, but for your benefit. Now, we don't know what happened after that, but the point is that when you think about the areas of influence and the platforms that you've been given in your life, are people experiencing that kind of life-living, life-giving faith expressed in and through who you are, no matter what your circumstances are. And this is not a a self-evaluation, by the way, Would other people say they see something in you that stands totally contrary to the ways of the world? Do you live that out? So I just wanna ask you two questions, okay? Don't be quick to answer them right in this moment, but where or what areas of your life are you holding back? What areas of your life do you need to turn over to this good shepherd? Because it seems like a lot of times we end up holding something back and we think, well, God just won't know about it. Well, he does. He knows you better than you know yourself. So what do you need to turn over to the good shepherd and say, lead me, guide me. I trust you more than I trust myself. The second question is, how is Jesus calling you in your life to live out your identity? as a child of God, as a sheep of his fold? How is he calling you to bless others in whatever way he's asking of you? Consider that through this next week. And and I promise you, if you put that at the forefront of your mind, you will see the people in your lives differently. You will see the circumstances in your lives differently because of who Jesus is and because of his Holy Spirit living in you and working through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for your great abundance and mercy. Thank you how you don't leave us orphaned or abandoned or forsaken, but instead, Lord, you have committed to leading us and guiding us as our good shepherd. Lord, we repent and turn from the ways that we've not lived into that identity that we've tried to hold things back from you Lord we surrender ourselves and ask that you you plant the word of your promise in our hearts that it might spring forth into eternal life with you this this life to the full that you have for each and every one of us in this world that you love so much we pray this in Jesus name Amen.